We're going to talk today about the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. And so let's look in Luke 22, starting in verse 14. And here's what uh, the Scripture tells us. We'll go through verse 20. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup after giving thanks, and he said, Take this, share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. Let's pray over these verses this morning. God, as we think about the Lord's Supper and prepare to take this later today, we thank you for the death of Jesus. We thank you for what that means. And as we take this supper as a remembrance of that, I pray that we would remember all that his death means and how that impacts our lives. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for forgiveness. And we thank you for eternity. And Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there were two young boys who were friends, and they uh, enjoyed each other's company, but uh, they went to different churches, and they wanted to see what each other's church was like. One boy was a Catholic, one boy was a Baptist, and so they decided they would go to each other's church to see how it was different. The Baptist boy first went to church with the Catholic boy, and obviously he had lots of questions. He walked into the Catholic church, and, and they came in, and they took the water that was there and did the uh, cross, and the little Baptist boy says, what does that mean? And they said, well, this is holy water, and we cleanse ourselves, or whatever it might be. I don't know exactly what that is, but they, they do that, and, and he, she, he explained to the Baptist boy what that meant. Later, the priest came out with his robes and, and had everyone kneel, and so they all kneeled, and the little Baptist boy said, well, what does that mean? Well, that's how we begin our worship and we pray. The priest did the cross over his body, and the, and the Baptist boy says, well, what does that mean? And the Catholic boy says, well, that's how we identify ourselves as, as Christians. And, and, you know, it went on, just what does that mean, what does that mean? The next Sunday, it was the Catholic boy's turn to go to the Baptist church. So the, the Catholic boy went to the Baptist church, the little Baptist church that they lived in, and the music pastor stood in front, have everyone stand and sing, and the, uh, the Catholic boy says, well, what does that mean? And he's, well, we, we stand to sing so we can sing better, and, and because we sing praises, we love Jesus, so we're going to sing. The ushers came down to the front and they took offering. They passed around these plates and a little Catholic boy says, what is that? Well, that's us acknowledging we get everything from God and we're giving some of it back. It's how we take the offering. The preacher got up to preach. He took his, uh, he had a watch on. He took his watch off and put it right there on the pulpit. The Catholic boy says, what does that mean? And the Baptist boy says, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. Um, 
That watch means nothing to that preacher. Anyway, um, there's many things in our worship service that may seem odd to somebody who, who had never been to our church. We, we just do things, and, and they might say, well, what does that mean? Or why are you doing that? And, and we just do it. That's just kind of normal for us. And, and today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And, and maybe you're asking the same thing. What is the Lord's Supper? Or why, why do we do the Lord's Supper? What does, what does that mean? And I'm hoping today we can maybe answer some of those questions. But, but to begin with, the, the Lord's Supper is a celebration that believers have participated in for centuries. I mean, when we take this bread and drink this juice in this cup, we are taking part of a celebration that has bound believers together since Jesus did this uh, Passover with the believers in Luke 22. And the other Gospels as well, they, they record this, this passage. And so we are, we are partnering with believers from past ages and, and, uh, and from all over the world and when we are bound by the redemption of Jesus. And so we are celebrating this today. This ordinance, this, this practice that Jesus commanded us to do on the night um, before he was, he was killed is, a, is an important thing. He, he, it was the last thing He told us to do before He gave His life for all of humanity. And so He's, he's going to tell us about that here in, in a little bit. Jesus and His disciples in this passage, they were celebrating the Passover. Like all good Jewish families were doing at the time, God had commanded the Jewish people to every year, once a year, for all the rest of time, to celebrate the Passover. It was the ultimate plague that released God's people from slavery that they had been in for 400 years. And to always remember that they had this, this dinner, this this celebration called the Passover. And it was to remember the powerful way that God had rescued them from slavery. And basically, and just real basically, the Passover meal went like this. Now, there's a lot of more details, and those who know the Passover could give a lot more details. But just in a very basic overview, this is how the Passover went. First, there was a prayer for thanksgiving by the head of the family, and they drank from the first of four different cups of wine. They drank the first cup. And then next, they ate some bitter herbs that were on the table. And that was supposed to be a reminder of the bitter slavery that they had for 400 years. So as they eat those, that flavor was to remind them that they had been in slavery, bitter slavery, for 400 years. After that, the eldest son would ask the question, why is this night distinguished from all other nights? And then the father's reply would either be a narrated story or a story that was read, if they had the, that, that story in front of them, of the exodus. 
That is the story of, of Moses. That is well, the ten plagues. You, you, you know the story because you probably watch it every Easter with Charlton Heston, right? This, that's the story that's retold. They don't bring Charlton Heston into it, but the point is they, they talk about the ten plagues and, and how they sacrificed the lamb and painted the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house. And the, the angel of death went through the camp, and when he saw the blood, he passed over the Jewish homes but everyone else lost their firstborn. And, he, and they were then freed from slavery. And he tells that story. Next, they would sing the first part of the Hallel. The Hallel is Psalm 113 through 118. They would sing the first part of that, which was Psalm 113 and 114, and they would sing those, those psalms. I'd encourage you to go and read that, not right now, but later afterwards to read what the, the psalm was. Then they would carve up the lamb and they would begin to eat the lamb and and then they would eat also some unleavened bread because they had unleavened bread because of the speed in which they had to be freed from Egypt. And they were to eat all that they could eat. In fact, they were not to let any of the lamb be left over. Some of us had parents like that. Eat everything on this plate. I'm not going to have any leftovers. And so that's that is what they had to do. And again, it had to do with when they first left Egypt in the book of Exodus, they were to eat all the lamb and and have that unleavened bread because they had to get moving. After that, they would drink the third cup. Now the Mishnah, which is which is just a collection of Jewish teachings, say this was the most important cup. It had two names. It had the cup of blessing because they'd give a blessing after they ate, thanking the Lord for the food and for the Passover. But it was also called the cup of redemption because it represented the blood of the Lamb. It was an important cup. After they drink the third cup, they would sing the last part of the Hillel, Psalm 115 to 118, and they would sing that together. And then finally they would finish by drinking the fourth cup of wine. In, in a basic sense, that is, the, that is the Passover. There's more elements to it. The point I'm trying to bring up is that Luke here brings up three or two different cups. There's a cup, and then he eats the bread, and then he drinks another cup. And there's lots of debates of which cup Jesus drank in the Passover, and that's really not the, the main idea. What I want to get it get to is this. The Lord's Supper, the celebration of the Lord's Supper was birthed out of the redemptive dinner of the Passover. They were celebrating freedom from slavery and Jesus says I'm going to start a new ordinance out of that and talk about real deliverance from sin from the slavery of sin and so the so the the Lord's Supper is birthed out of that out of that now the Lord's Supper has two elements we have the bread and we have a cup cup of juice what these elements are is not as important as what they symbolize. I've, I've told people you could do Lord's Supper with Cheetos and Dr. Pepper. You could if they symbolized what... There's no response, so maybe we'll do that next time. I don't know. That's fine. If that's what... You, you could if you wanted to. Because what the elements are is not as important as what they symbolize. 
the the bread the unleavened the unleavened bread is is to picture or to symbolize Jesus's body it reminds us that Jesus was not only fully god but he was fully human as well and that means that he had a physical body and when that body was beat it hurt and when that body was deprived of food he had hunger pangs And when he worked all day, he was tired at the end of the day. He was fully human. Whatever it means to be human, that's what Jesus is. And and that is what this bread represents, that he had a human body, and that body was beat and then nailed to a cross so that each of us would have the opportunity to be restored to God. When we take this bread, that is the symbol When we take the cup, it is a symbol of Jesus' blood. It was the blood he shed when he was beat, before he was nailed to the cross. And and I don't any movie that we've ever seen, I believe, pales in comparison to what actually the torture was. Romans were experts at torturing someone slowly to death. And that's exactly what they did with Jesus. They beat him within an inch of his life. I believe he was, I'm sorry, a bloody mass of a human. I believe blood was running everywhere. And then they hung him on a cross, and his blood ran down that cross until I'm pretty sure he had no more left in him. And this cup of juice represents that blood because the Scripture says Without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of the guilt of sin. There is no remission of sin. That is to say, if someone sins, something has to die. Something or someone has to die to get forgiveness of sin. And in the Old Testament, they used animals, and they sacrificed something over and over again and over again in hopes that it would wash away the guilt of sin, and it never did. All it did was point to them, I need someone to save me from this. But then Jesus, being fully God and fully human, He died in our place, and His blood now covers our sins when we trust in Him and we receive forgiveness. And as we look at this cup of juice, it symbolizes that blood, the blood that cleanses us. So the bread and the cup symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. But what is it that we're celebrating? That's pretty intense when we talk about the body and the blood. And like Wes said, it's, it's a little weird to say we're celebrating that today. So what is it that we're celebrating? Well, first of all, the Lord's Supper celebrates free salvation. It celebrates free salvation. That is, salvation costs us nothing. It cost Jesus his life, but it costs us nothing. Free salvation. That's a praise. The Lord's Supper is the message of the good news of the gospel. It's, we, we are proclaiming the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Listen, this is how Paul kind of summarizes the gospel just in a couple of verses. He said, I passed on to you as most important what I also received that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. When he says according to Scriptures, he's saying just like Scriptures said he would. He died for our sins. 
Not for his, he had none, but he stood in our place. He died for our sins, just like Scripture said he would. He was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to Scriptures, that is, just like Scripture said he would. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. That is the good news, and that's what we're celebrating. It's, it's a little strange to celebrate a death, and a brutal death at that. But we're celebrating it because his, his death brings life to sinners, of which we are all sinners. And we have then that salvation. And it's not because of works. It's, it, it, the, the gospel tells us, and, and, and as we look at these verses, it tells us that the only way, the only way to be saved from the power of sin and death is through the blood of Jesus. Through his sacrifice. That's the only way. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so no one can boast. So works can't bring about salvation. You cannot do enough good stuff to outdo your bad stuff. I don't care what you've been taught or what you believe. That's not the way it works. Works do not save. But it's a free gift. God says, I'm going to give it to you. We call it grace. And it's received when we believe it. When we say, I'm going to trust in Christ's work on the cross and not my good works. And when we trust in that, we call that faith. Faith is not a work. When we trust in God's free gift, He gives it to us, we have salvation. It is free. And so today when we take this, those who have Christ in their life, that's who this is open to. If you're a believer, you are welcome to participate. If you're not, I would encourage you not to, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But for those who take it, we are celebrating, God gave me salvation. For no other reason than he loved me. It wasn't because I was good enough, because I wasn't. It wasn't because I did all these good things, because those amount of filthy rags, the scripture says. He just simply gave it to me because he loves me. That's what we're celebrating. Isn't that good? That is good. The Lord's Supper celebrates free salvation. So we take it and we, and we celebrate that. It points us back to the cross, and he says he has given us salvation through his body and his blood. It's a reminder of his sacrifice. It's a, it's a celebration of the free salvation that's offered to everyone. It's also a celebration of full forgiveness. Lord's Supper is a celebration of full forgiveness. This is amazing. If you, if you think about those who are at this table and they took this Passover, first of all, you have to remember Judas ran out halfway through. He was betraying Jesus. Verse 21, 22 talks about, talks about that. You can read different uh, gospel passages and he, he's left. But think of the other 11 there with Jesus. Peter was there. It was just going to be a matter of hours before Peter, standing in view of Jesus at one of his false trials, 
denies knowing Jesus three times. There, Thomas, Thomas was there. Thomas was, was, after Jesus died and was buried, refused to believe that Jesus rose again. He said, I'll believe it when I can stick my hand in his side and my finger in the holes of his hands. He says, but I don't believe Jesus ever rose again. Maybe that's where you're at today. All 11 of these men who sat around the table with Jesus would eventually leave him alone, run away in the most desperate hour of his need. Mark 14.50 says they've all deserted him and they all ran away. One in Mark's passage ran so quickly that someone tried to grab him and they grabbed his robe and he, he took off naked. He left his clothes and just took off. These guys were desperate to get out of there. Every one of these guys at the table left him alone. But, but, but Jesus was about forgiving fully. Right? This is about fully forgiving them. And so after Jesus rose again, he met all the disciples on the shore and went to Peter and not only restored Peter, but he gave Peter the job of feeding his sheep. And on the day of Pentecost, days later, like 40, 50 days later, he's, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to know Christ because of the power of of the Holy Spirit working in Peter. He had been restored. And Thomas, who had doubted that Jesus would ever rise again a week afterwards, you know, he spent a week denying Jesus rose again. They all said, we saw him. He said, no, you didn't. But after that, Jesus appears to him and says, here, go ahead and put your hand in my side. Thomas didn't have to do it. He says, my Lord and my God. And church history says that Thomas would make his way to India and he would preach the gospel in India and would die there for his faith. He would be killed because he preached the gospel. And it's my understanding you can go to India and still see the, the tomb of, of Thomas there. Doubting Thomas turned into a preacher and he went out and preached the world. In fact, every one of these 11 guys became the nucleus for the early church and they went out and they preached the gospel even into up to their deaths where they were killed for their faith with the exception of John who was exiled for his faith. Jesus forgave them wholly and completely. And as we take the Lord's Supper today, we're reminded that if we've trusted in Jesus, listen, you are fully forgiven. The Lord's Supper does not bring forgiveness. You trusting in Christ has brought forgiveness, and you stand forgiven right now. Not only for your past sins, not only from your sins today, but for your sins tomorrow and the rest of time, you are forgiven in Christ. Not a, nothing. <laughs> Amen? Okay, there we go. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. That is, that is good news. There is not a book in heaven that has all your sins listed out that when you get up there, it's going to be read to you because you're forgiven. The whiteboard of your life has been wiped clean and will never be written on again. 
you are fully forgiven. There is not a video, uh, some sort of cosmic video screen that when you get up there, God's going to show you all the sins of your life because you're fully forgiven right now if you've trusted in Christ. There isn't a computer that has a list, some sort of heavenly computer that has all the lists of your sins that's going to be printed out later because Jesus has blotted out all your sins. You are fully forgiven if you've trusted in Christ. That is good news. Listen to how Colossians says this. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says this, When you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him. And listen, look at the words. Forgave us all our trespasses. How many of our trespasses? They're all forgiven. And He says He erased the certificate of debt. He erased it with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and He has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Every wrong thing we've ever did, everything that we have thought of that was, that was rebellious, our rebellious hearts, our wrong actions, our wrong thoughts, whatever it was, was taken from us when we trusted in Christ, and it was nailed to the cross, and Jesus paid the penalty for those sins. And in response to that, He gave us full forgiveness. That is good news. So as we take this, we are saying, not only did God give me free salvation, that cost me nothing. I didn't have to do X amount of good works. I just trusted in Christ and He freely gave it to me. But we're also saying, so I stand now fully forgiven. And when God looks down at me, He sees the blood of Jesus covering me, and I'm forgiven. Every one of our sins were nailed to the cross, and through Christ we're totally and fully forgiven. So we're celebrating that today. We're celebrating free salvation. We're celebrating being fully forgiven. And then we're also celebrating our fantastic future. One of the best aspects of the Lord's Supper, I think is sometimes miss, missed um, in our talking about it, is that we're going to have a fantastic future. Luke twenty-two sixteen, he says here, I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus said this Passover that he took 2,000 years ago would be the last time he took a Passover or the Lord's Supper. He, took, he started the Lord's Supper here, and then he says, I'm not doing this again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It here, I think, has to do with the redemption that's found in the Passover meal. That he, he it, the, the Passover pictures the the, it, it's a picture of the salvation that Christ brings. The Lamb of God freed them from slavery, right? And then Jesus came. He's the Lamb of God who truly freed us from the slavery of sin. And He says, when that redemption is completely fulfilled, then I'll eat of it again. So He started the Lord's Supper. And he says, this is the last one I do until my whole bride is with me again. So he's just waiting to do it again. 
And there's people out there who are going to be part of his bride who need to know Christ. And he wants them to come into the kingdom. He wants them to be saved. And he's waiting for them. It's our job to go and tell them about Jesus. And he says, when, when the kingdom comes, or when the, when the kingdom of God comes, then he'll take it again. Now that kingdom looks interesting. There's lots of little clues of what it looks like in the Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18. Some of us know these verses. It's a great, great verse about end times. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That is, those who have died are with Jesus, and they're with him now. Their bodies are in the grave, but their souls are with Jesus. And it says here, we say to you, that we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those dead bodies will raise up. They'll be rejoined with their souls. And 1 Corinthians says they'll be changed. I don't know what that means, but they will be miraculously changed into their glorified body. And then here in 1 Thessalonians, it says, We who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And it says, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There is going to be a time where Jesus comes back. There'll be a shout. There'll be a trumpet sound. And the dead bodies will raise. And they'll be joined. And then we will be raised. And 1 Corinthians again says, we will be changed. And it says, we will always be with the Lord from that point on. We will start eternity with Jesus. And then he says, Jesus uh, says he's going to bring all these b- believers back. He says that also in John 14. John 14, 2 and 3. Listen to this. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And this is what he says. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I'm not sure exactly what heaven's going to be like, but this is what I know. Wherever Jesus is, that's where we'll be. And that's enough, right? That's eternity. It is eternity with our Savior and Creator and and the Lord of all lords and the King of kings and the maker of all things. We will spend eternity with Him. That's what eternity is like. That is the fulfillment of the kingdom. And as we get through, and think about this, every saint, every believer from all time, starting from Adam and Eve who believed in a coming Messiah, and Adam and David and Elijah, and then think of the great preachers like uh, Charles Spurgeon and... and uh, I don't know, uh, Whitfield and, and some of these, these great preachers from, and, and every, think about your, your mom and dad maybe who are believers or your grandma and grandpa. Every believer throughout all of time will be gathered together as his bride. And then Re- Revelations 19.6 says this, that we will celebrate a supper. 
But it's not going to be the Passover reminding us that we've been freed from slavery. And it's not the Lord's Supper that says that Jesus died for our sins. But it's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be the marriage reception, so to speak. The finally the groom and the bride get to be together the way he intended for all eternity. And he says in Revelation 19, Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude. As you might imagine, these Christians at a giant potluck, they're loud, right? And so there's going to be a huge crowd of people. And he says, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder. And listen what they're saying. Hallelujah! Because our Lord God the Almighty has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife, that is us, the church, has prepared herself. She was giving fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then He said to me, Write, those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb are fortunate. They're blessed. God's favor is raining down upon them because they are having the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words of God are true. And so in Luke here, Luke says, Jesus says, I'm not going to eat this bread or drink this cup until every single one of my brides have my, my one bride, we're all one, come together. And when we sit down for the marriage supper of the Lamb, then I'll eat, I'll eat this bread and drink this cup again. So that means, listen, every time we take this, we are looking forward to that day. In fact, I say every time, and I mean it, wouldn't it be great if this was the last time we took the Lord's Supper here and the next one would be the marriage supper of the Lamb? Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what we're looking for. The Lord's Supper does look back at, at salvation, looks at the cross, celebrates the salvation, celebrates free forgiveness, fully forgiven, but it looks forward to Christ's return. In fact, where, where we'll be when we take the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he finishes the instructions to the church on how to take the Lord's Supper. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so we just do it over and over again, hoping that it's the last one, that maybe God will come by the next time. Not because we don't want to do it anymore, but because we want to long like Jesus longs to have the supper with his spouse, his, his groom, his, I mean his bride, our groom. So every time we take it, every time we take this bread, we're saying God's loved be enough to just give me salvation. That is good. And He loved me enough to give me salvation that forgives me fully. I am fully forgiven when I trust in Him. And that one day, someday, <laughs> you know, someday we're going to be sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb with our Savior, with the One who loved us so much to, that He gave His life for us. And we'll sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus and partake of this with Him. The Lord's Supper reminds us every time that we take it that the best is yet to come. That's what it tells us.
1 Corinthians 1, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this, but it is, as it is written, what eye did not see and ear did not hear and what never entered the human mind, God prepared for those who love him. I don't know what heaven's like because I can't even imagine it. Even if I could imagine it, it's better than that, this verse says. I can't even think about how amazing it is. But the most amazing thing is that we'll be with Jesus. And that's what the Lord's Supper teaches us. So as we prepare here today to take this, I'm going to finish this and we're going to start the Lord's Supper. And maybe today you want to experience salvation for the first time. You said, I've never experienced free salvation. I'm trying to work my way there. I'm trying to have my good outdo my bad. And it's wearing you out. Maybe today you just need to say, I want to trust in Christ's sacrifice. I want His blood to wash away my sin. Maybe today you just need the encouragement of reminding, if you have trusted in Christ, you are fully forgiven. Completely, wholly, totally forgiven. If you've trusted in Christ, that's where you sit right now. Maybe you just need that encouragement. Maybe today you need to be reminded that this life on this earth, while it seems like a real long time, is a brief breath of air. Scripture calls it grass that withers and a flower that fades. And it's an incredibly short amount of time when compared to all of eternity where we'll spend with Jesus. Maybe you need reminded of that today. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. Because as we begin the Lord's Supper, Paul says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself, and in this way he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That, that examining isn't whether or not you've sinned because newsflash, you have. I have. We all have. The examination is this. Have you truly trusted in Christ? Because if you take this bread and drink this cup symbolizing that you have received Christ and you really haven't, you are mocking the body and the blood of Christ and that is not a safe place to stand. So we examine ourselves. Have you trusted in Christ? Are you a true believer? Maybe today, before we take the Lord's Supper, you come and you say, I need Christ in my life. Maybe you're just needing the encouragement that you are fully forgiven and we will spend eternity with Christ. However Christ is moving in your life, I pray that you would respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for your word that clearly teaches us that our salvation is not based on us, but totally based upon you. So I pray today if there's someone who doesn't know you, they would come to know you truly today. Lord, if there's someone here who just needs the encouragement to remind them that God, through Christ, freely and fully forgives them. Build them up and encourage them with that. And Lord, I thank you for our future. 
I thank you that those who have trusted in Christ get to look forward to an eternity with you, and it begins with this meal, that you finally get to have it again with your bride. I pray as we take that today, we would be encouraged and strengthened by it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.